Before we get going with this week's show, word from a few of our friends. Let's begin with the Breeders' Cup. Tune in this weekend for two Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win-in-your-in races. The first is the Whitney from Saratoga, which is sure to be a scintillating matchup of top older males in the country. The winner will receive an automatic entry into the $6 million Longines Breeders' Cup Classic on November the 5th. Also on Saturday, the Clement L. Hirsch from the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club. The winner receives an automatic entry into the $2 million Longines Breeders' Cup Distaff on November the 5th as well. Both winners will receive entry fees paid by the Breeders' Cup, $10,000 reward to nominator, and $10,000 travel allowance for horses that are stabled outside of Kentucky. Coverage begins Saturday, 5 o'clock Eastern on NBC. It is the Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win, and you're in. Our friends north of the border at Woodbine, be sure to check out racing at Woodbine, north of the border, the countdown is on for the Queen's Plate with only a few weeks until the big race for Canadian-bred three-year-olds scheduled on August 21st. Additionally, this weekend brings us three stakes races. August 6th, the Ontario Colleen Stakes. It's a grade three. Three-year-old fillies going a mile on the E.P. Taylor Turf Course. $150,000 guaranteed Ontario sired stakes. August the 7th. The Georgia Bay Stakes for three-year-old fillies going 5 eighths on the inner turf, $80,000 guaranteed for Ontario Sired Stakes. And the August 7th Lake Huron Stakes, three-year-old Colts and Geldings, 5 eighths of a mile, inner turf, $80,000 guaranteed Ontario Sired Stakes. Again, for more information, head on over to woodbine.com. And last but certainly not least, our friends at BetMakers. Fixed Odds Betting, powered by BetMakers, is back and in effect at Monmouth Park. And the early returns are fantastic, with 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote board. Soon, Fixed Odds Wagering will be available throughout the state of New Jersey. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. The odds you bet are the odds you get. You will continue to hear more about Fixed Odds Wagering opportunities across the In The Money Media Network. Now, on to episode 125. What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, August the 1st, 2022. It's episode 125 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. You can also watch and listen along over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernier Show. You will get this episode along with the 124 prior. As always, wherever you take this thing in, Please rate, review, subscribe. Um, if you're on YouTube, make sure the bell icon's lit up. That way you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel, including things like Horse Player Happy Hour, uh, which will be back on Thursday. I'm flying solo this week. My birthday is on Wednesday, Larry Bird birthday. Thursday, PTF's birthday, but a far larger milestone birthday there. So he is unavailable. He will be out with his family. So I am riding solo and that's why this show this week will look a little bit different in the past few weeks i've gone ahead and done an early look to the big race coming up on saturday over the weekend this weekend there are a few of them but specifically the whitney Uh, i'm going to save that for thursday on horse players happy hour so if you're curious about my take on the race and you can certainly read it over on NBCSportsEdge.com. But if you want to go through and take a look at past performances, and we'll do it live on the fly Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock Eastern, 
on the Breeders' Cup social media channel, on the In The Money Media social media channel, uh, on both of those YouTube channels. Plenty of ways to find Horse Players Happy Hour. And then also the re-air or the sort of recording, if you will, goes up on the In The Money Media channel on YouTube. So many ways to find it, but that's where I'll be going through the Whitney and perhaps we'll do something else as well to fill that hour's worth of time. We'll have a contest race in there. Again, those of you that have not tried or have not gotten involved in Horse Players Happy Hour, please at least give it consideration. $20 buy-in, the juice, the vig goes to charity, and you have multiple options to win a $10,000 Breeders' Cup betting challenge seat. So why not? And from 4 to 5 Eastern, you can come and shoot the breeze and ask questions. Always welcome over on Horse Players Happy Hour. You can sign up for the contest over on horseplayers.com. So if the Whitney is going to be previewed on Thursday during Horseplayers Happy Hour, what the hell are we talking about here this week? Well, we're going to start off with my updated Breeders' Cup Classic Top 10 rankings because I, I said it a few weeks ago, these two weeks are going to be instrumental, at least in beginning to shape what the classic division looks like and this past saturday two races in particular the jim dandy at saratoga and the san diego out of del mar i think we saw both positives and negatives from both groups uh clearly the san diego is older horses the jim dandy is three-year-olds but on the heels of the haskell two weeks ago now and leading into the whitney coming up this weekend i think it's a good opportunity to go through explain my rationale for the top 10 why certain horses have moved up why others haven't moved anywhere uh, but then also do a proper old school analysis of those two races we're going to pull up some replays on youtube talk over them and kind of give my assessment of good bad and ugly because there were good bad and ugly performances in both of those races but first things first let's talk about the updated breeders cup classic top 10 rankings uh, i'm one of the folks who votes on it um, and the official ranking will come out, I believe, sometime on Tuesday afternoon. My top 10 this week, number one, Flight Line, number two, Country Grammar, number three, Olympiad, four, American Revolution, five, Epicenter, six, Hot Rod Charlie, seven, Life is Good, eight, Charge It, nine, Cyberknife, 10 is Royal Ship. The only horse that was ejected, I'm using that phrase, I don't know if you think that's the right phrase or not, um, ejected from my top 10, was early voting and we will get into that when we talk about the jim dandy the only new fresh face is royal ship and we'll get into him when we talk about the san diego there are other horses that are on the bubble that you can certainly make cases for uh, whether it is a horse like zandon um, who ran uh, you know again we'll, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it when we talk about the jim dandy but zandon is certainly a horse that could an argument can be made he belongs inside that top 10 artorius who ran very very well in the curlin which we won't do a full deep dive into that but promising enough horse very lightly raced earned a 95 buyer speed figure in the curlin needs to take another step forward to be competitive in the travers and never mind against the older horses in a race like the classic but he's trending the right direction for sure for chad brown chad seems like he's got a million really really exceptionally talented three-year-olds uh and artorius seems to fit that bill as well uh, so those are just a few of the names that are on the outside looking in for my top 10 we'll find out what the overall voters believe i know there's i know for a fact i have one horse much much higher than many others do because i don't even know that he's in the top 10 or he was last week anyway um in american revolution i still believe in the horse it sounds like he may end up running on saturday which frankly i don't love i wanted them to sit him out until the jockey club gold cup at a mile and a quarter at saratoga it's a very, very tough group. I don't think he's without a chance. Uh, spoiler alert for Thursday. If the field that Horse Racing Nation has put together as probables show up there, uh, purely on value, I, I think I'm going to 
I'll probably end up on American Revolution again. But having said that, I would much prefer him going a mile and a quarter, perhaps catching some of these horses off of a tough race or maybe some lighter names in there, whatever the case may be. But again, we'll save that for Thursday. So that's my top 10. Flightline worked the other morning, looks spectacular as always. Uh, but with the two recaps, the Jim Dandy and San Diego, you're going to hear many of these names pop up again. And then you'll hear many of these names pop up on Saturday in the Whitney. So let's start off in New York with this, the run at Saratoga, the Jim Dandy, the local prep for the Travers. Very short field, only four, but there were four big names. We had a very impressive performance. We had a solid performance. We had a good performance. And we had a terrible performance. Let's start with the Jim Dandy and then we'll move into the San Diego. Jim Dandy from Saratoga, the local prep for the Travers. Only a field of four with the scratch of the inside horse who was going to be a long shot anyway. Uh, really not much more you could have asked for from a quality standpoint. You've got the two big Chad Brown entrants and you've got Steve Asmussen's runner epicenter. Uh, early voting looked like he was going to be controlling speed. I talked about it on this show last week. If he worked out the trip that I thought he was going to work out, he was going to be really, really tough to beat. And we're going to let the tape show he worked out the trip I thought he was going to work out, and he was absolutely terrible. Um, and also, to be fair, don't want to completely gloss over Tawny Port. Good quality horse for Brad Cox. Uh, but against this group, certainly looked like the outsider. We're going to let the tape run. This is from the Naira YouTube channel. You can go over and find this video there. They break from the gate. Early voting breaks alertly, as does Tawny Port. Epicenter a little bit sluggish, which has become a bit of a, a trend. I'm not going to go as far as to say alarming, but maybe it's something to at least keep in the back of your mind when we're talking about some of these races going forward. Early voting streaks out to a very comfortable lead. In the grand scheme of things, you see ears up, really loving life beneath Jose Ortiz. Flavian Pratt and Zandon take up the chase in second, about two lengths off of it. Now, that's kind of a critical area that some folks have brought up, and I agree 100%. Zandon is not a horse that wants to be on the chase. He wants to basically pull the trip that Epicenter pulls in here. But I have to be honest, there, there's, there was no scenario that I drew up in my head that would have had Epicenter last chasing what I think for this level of company is a moderate tempo and for him to win as easily as he did. There, there, there was just no scenario that I could have put that together. Zandon's traveling very well, as is Tawny Port. Now you see Jose Ortiz peek under his shoulder down to the left on the inside. And whenever he starts to slowly just start kind of knuckling along, I'm thinking right now you got to get some separation and he's not getting away from Zandon, which is bad enough, but he's not getting away from anyone. He's not getting away from Tawny Port. He's certainly not getting away from Epicenter. And take a look at the back of the field. You're going to see Joel Rosario tip out now about four paths off the rail. Jose's all in on early voting and he's spinning his wheels. I go, we're in, we're in deep water now. Zandon has dead aim, but look at Joel. I say four paths, probably closer to five paths off the far turn. Never really asked this horse for his best. And his best, his best. And I feel like this is a prime example of a horse that his resume is not as good as his talent is. He is a better horse than what the paper would suggest based on accomplishments. Because Epicenter, I don't know how you could come to a conclusion that he's not one of the best, if not the best three-year-old in the country. He's defeated Zandon on the square three times. He's been a bit unlucky. In a couple of big races, the Kentucky Derby, I say unlucky. I mean, I think he ran the best race. He No, he didn't win, but given his relation to the pace and all that sort of stuff, I thought he was the best in there. 
The Preakness, he breaks slowly, has to try to rally from off the pace on a day where the track was kind of speed. That didn't work to his advantage. And then he comes here, and it is nothing more than a means to an end to get to the ultimate prize, the Travers. But he was much the best in this spot. So it's hard for me to look at Epicenter and think anything other than he's just the best right now from this group. Zandon, I thought, ran better than I thought he would. But then again, I, I expected him to move forward. I mentioned it last week. He had paired up career tire, uh, career buyer tops of 98. I thought we'd get into a low 100, 102, 103. We got the forward move, but it wasn't a massive forward move. Now, you can look at it and say, and I agree with this, that again, his running style, that's not what he wanted to do. He doesn't want to be the one taking up the chase. He wants to take back and make his run. And you would hope in a race like the Travers, he's going to have more pace to run at and things like that. But I voiced my concern about his ability at 10 furlongs last week. I voiced it on happy hour last Thursday. I don't know that I look at him as a 10 furlong horse. I, I fear that as you go longer, he doesn't actually get better. Now, could he move forward? Absolutely. But I think Epicenter is better suited for 10 furlongs. I think Cyberknife's better suited for 10 furlongs. I think some of these other horses that we've talked about, Artorius, he may not be as fast as Zandon right now, but he's not that far off. That 95 buyer he earned in the Curlin, I look at him and think he wants to run all day. Zandon, I think, is an exceptionally talented racehorse. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not ready to go all in on him from a Travers standpoint, or basically a mile and a quarter standpoint. Tawny Port runs well, career best from a number standpoint, uh, but I don't know that I really view him as as talented as some of the best of the best, despite the fact that he didn't run last in here. And the disappointment of the race is early voting. Uh, if we're calling a spade a spade, he was dreadful. And I don't know what you want to do with this going forward. So basically, here's my assessment of the four horses. Because it, it's a little bit of good, bad, and, and the ugly. Epicenter, as I just said, probably the best of this group. A little bit disappointing, and I know it's a prep but he's now earned a 102 buyer in three of his last four races. He's remarkably consistent. But now I'm starting to look at it and say, well, where's the forward move coming from? When are we going to take that forward step? Maybe it is the Travers. Maybe he gets up into the high 100 range. But when I'm thinking about the horses that I have ahead of him in my Breeders' Cup Classic rankings, he still has quite a bit to find. And the three-year-olds this time of year, we've talked about it before, they can absolutely move forward, and you expect the good ones to move forward. My only worry with Epicenter is he really hasn't gotten any better from a, purely from a number standpoint from the beginning of this season to this point now. 98, 102, 100, 102, 102. Consistent, very, very good. Not good enough right now to run with Olympiad. Certainly not good enough to run with Flightline. Not even good enough to run with Country Grammar or American Revolution, purely on figs. Zandon, my big takeaway is he ran better than I thought he would given the trip. I'm still not sold at a mile and a quarter, um, but he deserves the opportunity to find out. There's no, no two ways around that. Uh, he dances all the dances, but if you're looking at it from sort of a, you know, let's say contrarian standpoint, well, he's now been beaten by Epicenter three times. Why? What indication is there that he's going to beat him next time? That the fourth time is going to be the charm? I think you have to at least 
think that Epicenter may just be a better horse. And I said that after the Kentucky Derby, and it, maybe it sounded like I was slighting Zandon, and I'm certainly not. He's probably of the, the five best three-year-olds of this crop, and it's a good crop. But Epicenter just has his number, I feel like. And that's with Epicenter, keeping in mind, he's rallying from well off the pace on with this trip that I don't know. I mean, I, I look at the fractions, four, 24 and 1, 48 and 1, 12 and 1, 30. I mean, they clipped off 24s, basically. You would think that would work to the advantage of a horse that has a little bit more of a, a forward positioning than the one rallying from, from last. Maybe that'll be proven wrong in the Travers at the end of August, but I just I'm having a difficult time drawing up a scenario where I think Zandon beats Epicenter. Tawny Port, I suppose, is interesting if you're looking at he's gonna be a big price in the Travers. Uh, he, he was nearly nine to one in this race in a four horse field. He'll probably be at least nine to one come Travers Day if they choose to go there. But I would I wonder if he ends up sort of wherever Cyberknife goes, Tawny Port goes the other one. So if it is Cyberknife to the Travers, maybe Tawny Port goes to the Pennsylvania Derby or vice versa. And early voting. I read a quote uh, in the Daily Racing Forum from Chad Brown, and, and he brought up that, you know, um, maybe I didn't have early voting ready to go. I, I did Nick Luck's podcast a little bit earlier, and I said I that to me sounds like Chad being a good CEO saying, look, I'm, I am the one to, you know, this starts and ends with me and maybe I didn't have him ready to go. I think Chad had him ready to go. I just don't think the horse was very good. Um, and it's, it's supremely disappointing for a horse that had not really run a clunker in his career. Now you can go a few different ways with this. Maybe he did need the, the race off the layoff. We hadn't seen him since the what third week in May been gone for a little while. Uh, maybe he didn't like Saratoga, which is certainly a, an issue if we're talking about a race like the Travers. Uh, maybe something else happened that we don't know about. Uh, but I don't think this is a, a lack of, of preparation from Chad Brown. That's my opinion. I could be entirely wrong. But I, I don't think this is Chad not having him ready to go. I just thought he wasn't very good. And that that's okay. Sometimes horses aren't very good. And it's a, it's a disappointing result for me because drawing the race up, as I said last week, I'm having a hard time. If early voting goes... Someone else needs to keep him company to soften him up, but then they could possibly compromise their own chances, which I suppose you can say that was Zandon. Or he waltzes on a front on the front end and kicks away and, and nobody can go and catch him. It, it, the trip was kind of a, a combination of the two, where he had a relatively soft trip. Zandon does have to go after him, puts early voting away, and then maybe he gets softened up a little bit for Epicenter to come and roll down the center of the track. I think many things can be true all at the same time. Uh, I don't know that that's why Zandon lost. I think he may have just lost to a better horse. But early voting was bad. And a 97, maybe that's harsh to say he was bad, and he still almost earned a triple-digit buyer. But with a trip like that, he's supposed to do more than he did. Uh, and you can go back to that Preakness and say, well, he was forward on a day where speed was kind at Pimlico, and his main rival, Epicenter, had a miserable trip, and he still kicked on to finish second. With a clean trip, Epicenter, maybe he wins the Preakness. So there's there's so many different ways to go about it. My takeaway is Epicenter, probably at the top of the three-year-old crop, or close to it anyway. 
uh, remarkably consistent. I'm, I'm waiting for the forward move. He's paired up buyer tops of 102, but he earned a 102 four starts back. I'm, I'm waiting for the forward move from him. Zandon, Chad wants to win the Travers. I would run Zandon in the Pennsylvania Derby just because I think he's better at a mile on an eighth than he is a mile and a quarter. Tawny Port basically goes where Cyberknife doesn't go. And early voting, man, this, this was this is a tough one because I... You, can you go to the Travers on the heels of this? Maybe he was just a short horse and he needed a race and he's going to run better. I was very disappointed by this. I would be inclined to go where Zandon doesn't go. So if Zandon's going to the Travers, if I am Chad with early voting, I'm going to the Pennsylvania Derby and vice versa. If Zandon, they want to go to the Pennsylvania Derby, uh, I'm going to go to the Travers with early voting and hope that he just needed the race and he's going to move forward. Uh, 102 buyer for Epicenter visually was fantastic. Visually was better than that. But the clock is the clock. And I, I, I admire him. I have him fifth. And that, uh, there are faster horses beneath him. Big efforts from Hot Rod Charlie or Life is Good. On Saturday in the Whitney, Epicenter probably comes down a few pegs. Because those horses have already run considerably faster than Epicenter has. The reason I have Epicenter as high as I do is I don't think 10 furlongs is a problem. I'm not convinced of that with life is good just yet. And with Hot Rod Charlie, he's lost races he shouldn't lose. Epicenter has that go and get him, I think anyway, in my opinion. And I'm curious to know everyone's thoughts beneath the video player on YouTube about this year's Jim Dandy and how it sets up for the Travers. And even longer down the road, how does this potentially set up for the Breeders' Cup Classic? Are all of these classic horses, what do you do with the Preakness winner? Do you just hit reset and say, or do you just draw a line through it and go, yeah, he had a bad day? No reason to totally jump ship. You know he's fast. You know he's got tactical speed. You know he's won at a mile and three sixteenths. Don't think an extra sixteenth of a mile is going to be too much for him to, to get the job done. Let me know what your thoughts are about these four horses going forward for the rest of the summer and into the fall in the Breeders' Cup beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Meanwhile, on the West Coast, the older horses had their big prep for the Pacific Classic in the San Diego. Bit of a surprise result, but quality race horses showed up and delivered. Out at Del Mar, the older horse is getting ready for the Pacific Classic. All of them with a, a showdown with Flightline on deck, getting ready, mile and a 16th, the San Diego Handicap. We'll let the tape run this video available over on the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club's YouTube channel. Um, I, there are a few different things to talk about in here. You had horses trying to prove that they belonged among the upper echelon. You had horses purely using this as a prep, most notably country grammar. Uh, and then you had horses who were at one point considered among the best of the best and had some uh, a bit of lost glory. And you know exactly who I'm talking about, Mandaloon. This race from jump, I'm watching it going, okay, well, Mandaloon, a little bit of a, a tough spot going into that first turn in, in tight, X, Y, and Z. Maybe he can rally. 
Defunded is out on the front end. He was the bee's knees. Everybody and their brother loved him. Goes out there. Yeah, the fractions are a little bit swift, but by no means are they blistering. He's got Stiletto Boy glued to his flank. And then between he and Royal Ship, you've got Country Grammar. I mentioned Royal Ship, who's parked four or five paths wide. Actually wasn't a bad thing at Del Mar. Considering the outside flow, Parnelli is in behind. You see Tripoli, the winner of the Pacific Classic last year. Mandaloon's trying to get involved, trying to pick his feet up toward the back of the pack. At this point, Country Grammar's being scrubbed along on the far turn, keeping up, though, with Royal Ship. Meanwhile, there's a big difference when you watch the body language of the two riders. Johnny's really asking Country Grammar to get going. Mike Smith now is starting to slowly move on Royal Ship, and Royal Ship is always moving well. And I think that's the most fascinating thing about this performance from this horse, a horse that I've really been high on for a long time. And I've honestly been made to look like a bit of a dummy for having faith in him. I always thought this was there. This was in the back pocket. And more often than not, he would disappoint me. The key takeaway for me, the top two finishers are well clear of everyone else. First and second, they're forward, more than four lengths clear of the third place finisher, Stiletto Boy. I had these two horses ranked one and two in my Breeders' Cup Classic Top 10 just over a year ago. One and two, Royal Ship, Country Grammar. And I'm not saying that to, you know, be like, oh, look at me, look at me. I, the point is, I've always thought these were good horses. Country Grammar was sidelined and Royal Ship's form went sideways and he ended up getting hurt. The question now becomes, Royal Ship had, I don't want to say everything his way in here, but he had a lot of things go his way. Outside flow, it was nothing more than a means to an end for country grammar. Some of these other horses didn't fire. Is Royal Ship of the classic quality? Or is, I don't want to call it a tease, but I mean... via DRF's formulator product, pull up these PPs. I mean, he has been a bit of a tease more often than not. But these two races, for those of you that are listening, I'm moving my cursor over the Californian and the Gold Cup from Santa Anita, the Hollywood Gold Cup from 2021. Those are the two races that, in my eyes, set country grammar and royal ship apart. And why I had them rated as highly as I did last year. Because they had both run fast in those races. And they showed versatility. And a mile and a quarter wasn't going to be a problem for either of them. And then Country Grammar gets hurt. The whole Baffert suspension happens. Royal ship, or not the suspension, but you get the point. that He ended up getting shipped away from Baffert to Pletcher. And he got dinged up, never got to run in New York. Royal Ship is in great position, it seems like anyway. Goes into last year's San Diego, runs terribly. Comes back in the P-Classic, runs terribly. Sidelined with an injury. Comes back off a lengthy layoff, fires a big shot. Comes back in his most recent start, terrible. Comes back here in the San Diego, looks really good again. I don't know what version of him you're going to get. It was good enough for me to put him back into my top 10, to make him 10th. But I just, I don't know that I can trust him. And maybe someone out there has has a better read on this horse than I do. I know the talent is there. But I don't know what version of him is going to show up from race to race. I don't know. Speed figure-wise, this was not an overly fast race. That's the other piece. A 102 when theoretically he had 
more or less everything goes away. You know, uh, a little hungry. Country Grammar earns a 99, and I thought it was a perfect prep for the P-Classic. A horse that is very clearly a mile and a quarter type, coming off of a lengthy layoff. I like the way that he was finishing again inside that final eighth. 99 buyer, don't really care. Big gallop out. I'm looking at him as if he is that sort of high 100 buyer horse on his best day. Call it anywhere between a 106 and a 110. Royal Ship on his best day, I think, is a mid to high 100 buyer horse. 105, 106, somewhere thereabouts. Flightline needs to prove that he can earn a 110 going 10 furlongs. I don't think that'll be a problem, but if we're being honest, just purely being objective, he's never gone two turns, he's never gone a mile and a quarter. He'll have to do both of those things against a horse like Country Grammar, who has proven himself at that configuration multiple times in the past. He'll have to do it, in theory, against Royal Ship, and he'll have to do it against some other horses as well. So if you're looking to take a shot against Flightline, it's it's probably those reasons, that he's never gone two turns He's going to have to run as fast as he's ever run, probably, to get the job done. And he'll have to do it against the World Cup winner in Country Grammar, who I think is primed and ready to roll for Baffert in the Pacific Classic. Beyond those top two, you've got questions about everyone else. Stiletto Boy, I still think, and I I said it last year, I said it leading into the, the Pegasus. There are races that he can win. He's a good horse. He's probably better than he gets credit for. The 108 buyer, I'm not fully buying into that from three starts back. And when I say I'm not fully buying into it, I'm not suggesting the number's wrong. I'm just saying that that's not really what he is. I would say he's a high 90, low triple digit kind of horse. To me, I'd be looking at, you know, some races that fly a little under the radar. I wouldn't be trying to run in the P Classic with him. I wouldn't be trying to run in the Whitney or the Jockey Club or anything like that. I'd be looking to pick my spots. I'd be thinking maybe the Woodward, which is a bit of an afterthought. It'll happen at Aqueduct this year going nine furlongs. I'd be looking at something like that, where maybe you do catch a little bit of a softer field, uh, but it's a grade one and you can probably be competitive in there. Mandaloon, I tweeted it on Saturday night. No, the trip didn't work out. But, I mean, this this is now three consecutive, really subpar efforts. The Saudi trip, the return effort in the Foster, which, granted, doesn't sound like that's what Brad Cox wanted to do. He had initially looked at another race. And then this spot here. I, I, I said it. A while back, I would love to see them turn him back just to find out. Because right now, he's not competitive at this level. He's just not. Turn him back to 7 eights. The forego would probably be a very salty spot. You're going to deal with Jackie's Warrior. But if he's already out west, why not try the Pat O'Brien and just see what you got? Maybe he's been a one-turn horse all along. And no, that kind of screws him for the Breeders' Cup. But who's to say... You don't call an audible and say, okay, well, rather than the classic or the two-turn dirt mile being our year-end goal, maybe the cigar mile becomes our goal. One turn, flat mile, 
assuming he proves that he can handle a one-turn configuration. I have no reason to think he can't. Go back, pull up his past performances. He's gone one turn twice in his career. And not, I'm not including the Saudi run, just because he was he was just absolutely terrible that day. Uh, his first two starts, both victories from off the pace. I would at least try that. And, and Brad Cox knows a hell of a lot more than I do. But I at this point, I don't need to see anything else from a you know a big race standpoint going long. I he's just he's just not doing it right now. I would turn him back to seven eights, and if you can't do it then, I think you probably just throw your hands up and go. It's it's time for him to to retire and go to the shed. Parnelli, I said I loved him going into it. I thought he tried, not good enough. I kind of thought we would get a forward move. He paired up those ninety threes, ninety one in this spot. You know, not a terrible effort, but clearly not as good as the top runners. Triple E, bit of a disappointment, but you know his his form last year was much better than it has been so far to this point. Defunded. I guess if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt because he was down on the inside and you wanted to be, you know, on those outside paths. Um, but this was a test for him and he didn't pass it. Uh, and then Senor Buscador and, and there goes Harvard. I'm not going to make a comment on either of them. They just didn't run particularly well. The, the top two, I think, are good. Country Grammar, I still have him number two in my top 10. Uh, Royal Ship cracks my top 10, gets in at 10. I need some sort of assurance of consistency from him. Country Grammar, though, I think is sitting on on his big effort in the P Classic. I would be surprised if he did not at least make Flightline earn it at Del Mar on Labor Day weekend. Uh, I think overall, a good race, an interesting race, one where there are wrinkles going forward about who goes where, where does each one of these runners fit, X, Y, and Z. Uh, But I think mission accomplished for Country Grammar, in a way, mission accomplished for Royal Ship to prove that he's still got a fastball that can run with some of the better ones. For some of the other horses that ran in this race, the also-rans, maybe it's back to the drawing board. Let me know your thoughts about the San Diego Handicap beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now for this week's show, we're going to wrap things up. A little bit of, of Q&A and just sort of random thoughts, some questions that some folks have thrown out there and give you some opinions. Quick wrap-up for this week's show. Uh, a couple of performances from this past weekend that you know I'm not doing the deep dive into. I thought American Theorem was really good. Winning the run out at San Diego, out at San Diego, out at Del Mar, the uh, the Bing Crosby. I don't know if that stacks up as well as what we saw at Saratoga from Jackie's Warrior in the Vanderbilt. Uh, he's just he's just way the horse to beat. And, and I right now I don't see anybody who's going to be all that competitive. I suppose Jack Christopher becomes interesting if he can shorten up to six, uh, but I, I still maintain he's much more of a dirt mile kind of horse than a Breeders' Cup sprint runner. Uh, Jackie's Warrior is just kind of a horse that I have no interest in trying to beat flat out at this point. He, it, would, it would take something unforeseen for him to not win a race, and, and that's no slight to a horse like American Theorem. It's just I just think Jackie's Warrior is on another level right now. Uh, but a couple of, of comments from the past few weeks beneath the video player on YouTube, and I, I need to be better about this, but uh, this can be something going forward, a little bit of a segment to wrap up some of these shows. Uh, going back to last week's show, uh, Peter Appleby I uh, would love to hear your thoughts on the Phillies and Mares from this past weekend at the spot and the Shuvi and the CCA Oaks. We got excellent performances from Clarier and Nest, respectively. Clarier was super game to get through on the rail, and Nest ran so well in the CCA Oaks. The Travers may be her next stop. The Travers, it sounds like there is a chance that she goes there. Um, the interesting thing for me is just purely from a numbers standpoint, she's arguably the fastest three-year-old that there is right now. 
consistently. If you go back and you look at that Belmont stakes, mentioned it following up in the Belmont, that that number, the buyer number, could actually be on the higher side than what it was. Could have been up in that sort of 105, 106 range. With the way that she ran in that CCA Oaks, all of a sudden, it looks like you could have a couple of paired up mid-100 buyers, which sets up favorably against the Clarieres and the Malathots of the world. That Shuvi, I, I mean, I love Clarier. I, I think she's really, really good. And maybe she is just better than Malathot at this point. But I do take Todd Pletcher's uh, comments to, to heart that for whatever reason, she may have just been a little bit off uh, going into that race because she never looked all that comfortable. And no, she's never been the flashiest thing out on the track, but usually you get a better effort from her than, than what we saw in that shoe V. Uh, but take nothing away from Clarier. I thought she was really strong. And and again, that, that's a division that's fantastic. You know, the, the, the Phillies and Mares, they're just top to bottom. It's a really good group. I haven't even brought up Latruska's name. Uh, so many ways you can go in there. I'll be curious to see how that division continues to to shape up over the course of the summer and into the fall. And then from two weeks ago, um, talking about when I've gone through and shown the past performances, which again, I'll do that for the Whitney on Horse Players Happy Hour coming up this week, this Thursday. Uh, I love the markups on your PPs from Brian Mueller uh, or Brian Miller, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Uh, do you make trip notes for every horse in every race? If so, when do you normally go back and review all the races in each horse? For many of the three-year-olds or the horses that we're going to see and talk about frequently, I'll go back right after the race, make my trip note so it lives in DRF's Formulator product, and I don't have to think twice about it. For other horses or other races, let's say it's just a, a random day at Gulfstream Park. I'll go through and watch tape, and if there's things that are noteworthy, I will make a note, and it lives in there from then on. But it's not as though I'm not someone right now anyway that could change in time. Focused on one specific circuit, when that's the case, you have trip notes for all the horses. But when you're, it's a little bit of a potpourri, a little bit of a grab bag that you're looking at races here and there and everywhere else, it's difficult to just sit there and... and have notes on every single horse. We, we all have lives and we got other things that we got to do. Uh, but for the most part, these stakes sort of races, I'll go back and make trip notes pretty, pretty quickly right then thereafter. Um, and if there's an obvious trip, I'll, I'll certainly go ahead and make a note and, and then go into DRF's horse watch, plug that horse's name in there and make sure I get notified whenever that horse is coming back, whether they worked out or they're in the entry box, whatever their results may be. So uh, thank you for both of those comments. And thank you to all of you who leave comments beneath the video player on YouTube or over on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt, excuse me, please follow me over there again. Bernie or underscore Matt is where you can find me on Twitter. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's show or watching this week's show. Again, for those of you that may have missed it at the top or I don't know how you could, but uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. You can also watch and listen over on YouTube Thursday, 4 to 5 Eastern, Breeders' Cup Social, In the Money Media Social, Horse Players Happy Hour. I'm flying solo. We'll be going over the Whitney. We'll be going over one of the races from Saratoga, which is part of the contest, which you can play along with over at horseplayers.com. Only a $20 buy-in. Uh, and as always, we would love for comments. Whether you've got thoughts on the races, you've got picks, you got opinions, I'll be sure to throw them out there. We've got uh, producer AJ filling in for Craig this week. Craig, congratulations. He got married this past weekend. He's off on uh, a honeymoon for a couple weeks, so that's good on him. But uh, AJ, more than capable of filling in. 
for Craig. Another one that goes back to the DRF days back of, of, of yesteryear. But uh, So that's what we're looking at for the rest of this week. You can also find write-ups for these stakes previews that I do over on NBC Sports Edge. That's going to do it for episode 125 of this show. Until next Monday, when episode 126 comes out. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been the Matt Bernier Show.